0: Let's welcome a very special guest, Dr. Eli Shapiro, and an old friend. Dr. Eli Shapiro is here to discuss technology. Dr. Shapiro is a licensed clinical social worker with a doctorate in education. He is the founder of the Digital Citizenship Project, a renowned lecturer. Dr. Shapiro, Ellie, thank you so much. It's really great to have you here. Great to be here. Let me begin, I guess let me just begin with a broad question, just to pick your brain and get your feel, because you live this, you breathe this, when we talk about technology and how it impacts our community, how it impacts families and children, how it impacts social lives and psychology. What is the biggest challenge? Can you nail it down to one big challenge or struggle that you see at least predominantly?
1: Uh, that's a great question. Um, good start. No softballs out of the gate. Yeah, let's um, jump right in. Right, exactly. So, right. oh, what you eat for breakfast today? Now, let's. <laughs> um, yeah, so um, I would say self regulation is probably the the biggest challenge, and it's really all encompassing because self regulation. Um, it, it it addresses all aspects of our relationship with technology. And, you know, I, I use the term relationship because that's really what it is. If you see some people have have healthier, more functional relationships with technology, where technology serves as an enhancement to their daily routine, and then other people, it really serves as an intrusion. Um, people who have difficulty self-regulating in other areas of their lives, technology is going to, you know, also be impacted by it. But I think that's that's the biggest challenge we have Um, the the self-regulation piece, being able to manage our technology and use it as the tool that it is to enhance and to better and to be more efficient and more productive and communicate and all these benefits that technology has to offer. But it also presents challenges in the areas of our focus, of our connection, of our our communication, of our psychological uh, well-being, all these areas. Uh, And so it's really about being able to self-regulate, but you can't self-regulate without the awareness and self-awareness of how technology is in your life.
0: Okay, and that's sort of a good segue because self-regulation, I wasn't thinking of it in those terms. That's exactly really what I want to ask you about follow-up on because it seems to me, and there are sort of two levels here because we're, as the from Orthodox Jewish community, obviously there's a religious aspect, but I really want to focus on, I think the mental health aspect, the emotional part. There's a lot of overlap, obviously, which I which I know is your, I, I assume is your focus. So I feel like anecdotally, there are many good healthy people in the in the from world, in the film community, parents, you know, maybe the younger generation, and I call younger in their late 20s, early 30s, and they struggle, and it's like their phone is attached to them, it needs to be for work, it's justifiable, many of us can relate to this, it distracts them, they kind of feel like, forgetting that, you know, they might be doing inappropriate things, but I don't even want to go there. In other words, they're just constantly looking at their WhatsApp, looking at their messages, on email, for all very good reasons, have no idea how to sort of tear away, have no idea how to structure it, Probably are embarrassed. Don't know who to speak to. And, you know, like the, they'll maybe, you know, when we look at, let's say, rabbinic guidance, and I don't mean to be in, in a ne- negative way at all. Th- there's a Kolkori once in a while. There's like, you know, maybe there are certain bans on certain things or certain suggestions. But I I, I feel like when you talk about, um, you know, self self-control, I feel like people maybe want guidance or they're used to having rules. And it's like, all right, well, what do I do? I need it. But I'm on it all the time. I shouldn't be. How do I stop? You know what I'm saying?
1: So, you know, I I think that um, we shouldn't be so hard on ourselves. You know, the the way in which technology has hit us, the speed at which it's hit us, the the speed at which it advances is is so unprecedented. You know, when you think of, of, you know, uh, the existence of the world, you know, you had, uh, you know, over 5000 years till we hit the Industrial Revolution. Things were pretty much stagnant. You know, yeah. The the wheel, fire, you know, some big inventions over time.
0: The printing press and then... yeah, the,
1: those were the big ones. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, the industrial revolution happens, and we find ourselves with technology just advancing at at such a fast rate. Um, and and with more modern digital technology the speed at which we're absorbing it is unprecedented and so like this idea of that also we should know how to manage it effectively with the speed that we're absorbing it is is almost unrealistic you know when you think about you know uh we were talking before we got online like what has happened in the last 30 years i mean forget the last 30 years the last when did the iphone come out uh, 2007 but when did it become affordable you know 2012 2013 you know, I, I know I didn't have any smartphone until so we're talking about 10 years, you know, 10 years where technology <laughs> yeah. just exploded and became so accessible, so affordable and so necessary in so many areas of our lives. And, and that's really the challenge. You know, I, I often get the question of, well, isn't it just the same as, you know, the printing press or, you know, the radio or TV? And, you know, when the, the radio came out, for it to reach 50 million users, uh, it took about 40 years. Wow. about in turn from the time Marconi brought the uh, you know the uh, radio to market it took about 40 years and then uh, television for it to reach 50 million users it took about 14 years. And then the internet from when it came out to the time it reached 50 million users was about 4 years. And TikTok from the time it came out to the re- time it reached 50 million users was about I don't know a day or two. <laughs> so like wow. we're absorbing things that, like we would never absorb other things in that way like automobiles like there's a process by which you adapt and adjust to the use of an automobile right as a kid you you get education in it then you do practice with it and then you go on side roads and then you go on highways and and certainly people who are less uh, regulated they end up getting more tickets and they speed more and they're more reckless in their driving so there's always going to be people like that but you can't expect your average person, you know, just to jump, jump right in and absorb everything in a healthy way. So, you know, I'll give one example. Like I I personally, I don't have a a smartwatch and I don't have a smartwatch because I'm against smartwatches. I just know me personally, I would have a really difficult time maintaining focus and being productive if I was distracted. I know, uh, you know, I can put my phone away and I can, you know, leave it on the side and focus on what I need to focus on and make that decision. So I know I can do that with phone, but I don't know if I could do that with a watch. I think the watch would be very distracting to me. So I've made a choice that even though the technology is available and it's there, I've made the choice to not engage in it knowing myself. So I think that's really the message that I've been trying to give over is that people need to be self-aware, self-aware how technology impacts their functioning, um, make decisions around that and you know try to be more responsible with it. So that self-regulation piece comes up in a way where, you know, you're at home. Yes, you have responsibilities. Yes, you have emails to you know respond to. But you also have family and other primary role obligations that you, you have to take care of. And so it's really finding that balance and being self-aware uh, and mindful of how technology is impacting that daily routine.
0: Okay, I like that. I mean, you know, it sounds like the direction you're going is kind of uh, like, like you, I like the way you said, don't be so hard on yourself this is brand new. I mean, especially the scheme of things and the way you describe it all. And uh, it's, it's, it's in its infancy. It literally. Infancy. We, we,
1: right. We think we're in the midst of this technology. We're at the, the beginning of the beginning. I mean, <laughs> this is just the beginning. I, like we're not in the middle of anything. This is right. like so early, you know, and with AI coming out and, and augmented reality and, and, and we don't even know where this stuff is going.
0: Right. And in a sense that like you described alleviates at least some of the beating ourselves up over it or, you know, p- sort of puts things into perspective. Listen, we can't even begin to try. Like, we're not even uh stepping on the gas here. We're just learning how to buckle the seatbelt and adjust the mirrors. I guess right. in a certain sense, that makes it, I guess, uh, uh, you know, more, I guess, of a struggle. I- I'll re- be reluctant on the word crisis is coming to mind. But in a sense, that makes it, more dangerous because we're behind the wheel we're going 80 miles an hour but we like you said you know we kind of don't have the user's manual yet i I, you know but but what i'm hearing you describe is self-awareness mindfulness you're telling me i want rules i want i want to open the manual open the user handbook and it says okay shut your phone off for two hours now open your phone now with kids i would call it
1: i would call it guidance not rules but yeah we need guidance
0: yeah so that's that's really the question so The guidance is different than what you were saying as far as, and I understand there's not a contradiction there. But in other words, I feel like the guidance is lacking, not because of anybody's uh, fault or anybody to blame, but it's just, we haven't gotten to that yet. And we're kind of craving it. I think people want it. I mean, very example, I see, you know, uh, let's say B'nai Torah, people who learned in yeshiva a few years, now they're working, they have a job, they have smartphones, right? And now there are that we know there are filters available. There are different, uh, there's GenTech, whatever. There's different tools available where they cannot have a browser or have very limited access to a browser on YouTube. I know people, I don't ask, but I get the feeling that they don't really think about it. They, they have to have a phone for work. They have a browser. They have YouTube. They have access to all sorts of things. They could just as easily or almost as easily manage to get their work done with email access and with other things, but not have that browser. And then that browser suddenly uh, opens up their, you know, their phone to become like a whole new level of unhealthy, or at least distraction. So I, I wonder if people, because they don't have the guidance, or they don't really know where to turn, they're doing things, there, there's a lot of options that they're not like aware of.
1: Um, I, You know, I, it's interesting, I, I, I wouldn't put it on the browser, I think the smartphone in and of itself, you know, becomes a distraction. But I, I've been in meetings with very, very hush of people who don't have smartphones, and they're just as easily distracted by their flip phones you know there there it's it's not i don't think it's it's tally in in the smart device although it is more distracting but if you're if you're not focused on um what the role that the technology is playing in your in your life is then you'll find a way to be distracted i remember um reading in a a book uh, uh tulushkin's book uh, on the lavacherevy he tells over a story um, of a woman, her name is Hannah Sharfstein. She goes to me with the Rebbe. This is in, in early in his uh, becoming the Rebbe in the late 1950s, and, and she she brought a, a tape recorder with her, and she she asked the Rebbe, "Is it okay if I record our meeting so I can remember what we talked about?" And he he declined. He said, I, "You know, I, I don't want you to record it." And the assumption was that maybe he didn't want it. It was private. He didn't want it to be recorded. And he said, "You know, if the tape recorder is on the table." Uh, you know, you're going to be distracted by it. You're going to be worried. Is it recording? Is there enough batteries? Is there enough tape left? Is it working? And just the technology being there is going to serve as a distraction. You're not going to be in the moment. And this, So this is obviously not a smartphone. It's, it's a tape recorder. And even then, you know, when we look at the research now, the research now, um, and I encourage any of your viewers Just search the term the mere presence of a smartphone. You just search the term the mere presence and you look at all the research and studies that show that the mere presence, not even touching it, not looking at it, just its presence serves as a psychological distraction. Uh, it's tremendous. We see a decline in cognitive functioning for kids who take standardized tests and have a smartphone on the desk. We see um, a, a reduction in productivity and communication skills for people in the business world, just the mere presence of having the smartphone there. So it's not just about, you know, you know finding, uh, you know, uh, things to distract yourself with through the internet or through the domain. It's just, it represents something that, that is distracting. And and what's interesting is certainly the smartphone is more distracting than a flip phone when it's more distracting than a tape recorder, because there's more things to do. Uh, And we're seeing, I think it was um, first quarter of 2023, it was the first time that there was an increase in the purchase of flip phones, uh, particularly I think in the millennial generation. So there's like a shift already, that awareness of the role that smartphones are playing as a distraction uh and and the idea of having a flip phone and being more regulated uh with your uh other aspects of technology behavior which is also why you know I, you know I work with a lot of schools and uh I discourage the smartphone relationship uh you know for social media or any other aspects uh, that kids are are using on their phones and they well they'll have a social media account elsewhere but the nature of the relationship with a device with that phone is completely different than with a with a uh, um, a uh, computer, a laptop, or uh, an iPad, or something like that, the, the the relationship is different. When you think about it, when you want to send an important email, you don't do it from your phone. You say, okay, I'm going to sit down and sit down on a computer. I'll be more focused. Why? Why is that? Our relationship, the dynamic, is slightly different with with a computer. And so, really, just exploring your individual relationship with your devices and and your interactions with it. Uh, you can make the decision the same way that you make a decision to send an important email from a computer rather than uh, from a phone or a tablet. You can make that decision in other aspects as well as how you're utilizing technology.
0: Right, that's really fascinating because what you're describing, first, the first point you made as far as the device and even the flip phone, and we've all seen it. And and like you said, before 2007, when perhaps we were on flip phones or on you know uh, phones that were not smartphones because they didn't exist – uh, we saw some people <clears throat> who are guilty, maybe myself, you know, texting and being distracted and whatever. So it's a great point that you're making that it's much more <clears throat> the, the existence of the device than the type of device or what types of apps are on the device. I guess in, like in yeshiva terms, you'd say it's, it's more about the gavra than the Chevzah. And, uh, and some people are much more able to just control and just ignore and not get distracted. And some people, you know, just uh, clearly it's just a much bigger, uh, much bigger type and a much bigger struggle. And when you bring up about the the device versus the platform, that I find fascinating, and I'd love to dissect that a little bit because you're you're. If I understood it correctly, you're saying that you advise have a social media account, and I like the way you describe it about the email. And you're right. If if we're sending an important email, if we're doing something more formal or <clears throat> more serious with big, bigger repercussions, then we'll we'll sit on a computer, we'll do it in a certain way. We're not doing it by the seat of our pants and just on your phone like we see people just furiously typing away at the pizza shop. Um, but there because like there's studies, which I'm sure you're more than aware of, these studies about social media, there's a link between <clears throat> excuse me, social media and depression, at least according to the studies that I saw. And uh they, they don't know you know the difference between correlation and causation, so they don't know if that's the cause, but it does seem that there's a link b- between, you know, mental health issues, severe mental health issues, and social media. And if I understood you correctly, you're saying it may not be the fact that somebody has an Instagram account. If they're on their Instagram account in a controlled environment for half an hour a day on their computer, it's more the fact that they have total access to it or the fact that it's in their pocket. Like you're saying, we we, we look at the device as like you use the word relationship. So I think that's well, if I understand it correctly, we have this relationship, like an emotional connection to our device.
1: So I, I just want to correct one thing you're saying. I wasn't advocating for social media on a computer. Yeah, correct that. Um <laughs> <laughs> The, uh, you know, let me let me give just a a very basic uh, statement that I think is important to keep in mind. I genuinely believe that we would all be better off socially, psychologically, behaviorally, spiritually, if we had none of this, no Internet, no smartphones, no computers, no we lived in a farm in Montana, we would all be better off. (laughs) Um, however, that's just not the reality that we live in. Uh, We live in a world that is technology driven. And so, so we have to find somewhere in between the farm in Montana and, um, being completely consumed by technology that is a healthy balance. So that's, that's really what it is when it comes to social media. Um, you know, there are aspects of social media that, that uh, is, po- are positive. Uh, you know, the ability to connect and share and, and, and be with family and friends in, in a, in a way that, and there are positive aspects to it. Um, there are lots of negative aspects as well. And so similarly, we need to, to find that balance. You're, when it comes particularly to the areas of distraction and, uh, and, uh, you know, uh, just the, the the balance of time and, and that relationship. Ha- using social media on a computer is going to be a different experience than using it on a smartphone. So that but that in no way is an, is advocacy for use of social media on a computer. You know, it's uh, interesting. I, I encourage people to look up the work of Tristan Harris Um uh, he he was one of the early social media developers. And when he saw a lot of the challenges that it was presenting, particularly on psychological uh, functioning, um, a- adolescent girls in particular are at specific risk for the negative impacts of social media, um, which really goes to like why people use technology as a whole. Boys are very different than girls. That's a separate, uh, longer conversation. But um, you know when he started seeing the risks and its impact on anxiety and depression and and self identity and and self worth and and all that, he actually shifted away from it and has been talking a lot about um, about uh, you know the, avoiding uh, social media. And we're seeing in different states, uh, you know, the, sort of the banning of social media for people under sixteen. Most recently, the Surgeon General of the United States came out with a study, probably maybe two months ago, three months ago, two different studies. Uh, one was specifically on social media and adolescence. and you know he he really was pushing the the agenda that we have to ban social media from adolescence. um and uh and and by the way just you know going back to self-regulation as the broader theme the biggest challenge for adolescents is that they can't self-regulate you know if adults struggle with self-regulation a- adolescents can't so that's that's also part of it um but certainly the content the the dependence the relationship that they have uh with with uh social media is is problematic. Similarly, um, you know, Tristan Harris, uh, for one, uh, is talking about how AI is like obviously there's a lot of great things with AI that we're seeing, but it presents and he, you know, sort of lays out the challenges. Anyway, back to the Surgeon General, he basically says that social media and teenagers are not a healthy mix, and, and we certainly should avoid that. He also talks in a separate study uh about the epidemic of loneliness in the United States. And loneliness, two of the core areas that he is identifying as uh, as promoting the experience of loneliness, is a decrease in people going to synagogue, church, their mosque, uh, whatever, rel- that religious connection. Um, so that's one area. And the other area is technology and people are less likely to go out and do things and connect with people in, in, a real way, because by default they can, they can get some of that experience on their devices through social media, et cetera. And then they are less motivated to actually go out and meet people and see friends or date or things along those lines. Um, and that is contributing to the overall loneliness and the loneliness equates with depression, that the feelings of anxiety, feelings of things out of control, the comparative experiences that people have when they look on social media. Um, so all of that uh, is, is certainly problematic, but there are some, there are plenty of people that can be a member of a social media platform, use it in the positive ways that, uh, that it is available. And not have those negative experiences. So that's really why it goes back to we have to look at devices. We have to look at the what we're using on those devices. But most importantly is we have to look at ourselves and how our relationship is with the technology, whether it's uh, social media um, and devices. And I'll also just say, obviously, certain social media platforms are more problematic than other social media platforms, certainly the content that's available on certain social media platforms. um, And a lot of it goes back to the popularity where the influencers are you know the the idea of influencers um i mean the term is really self-explanatory it's influencing your emotional well-being if you're if i'm seeing x y and z and i, I you know yeah, i can react different people will react to the same content differently i can see someone on this beautiful vacation in in greece and you know how beautiful it is uh and i can be envious of it and, and it can actually lower my mood or self-esteem or self uh self-concept or uh i could view it as a uh you know, wow, it's really amazing. And I can be inspired and uplifted by it. So it's the device, it's the platforms, and it's your specific relationship on how you respond to it.
0: And I guess, can I ask, um, when you talk about social media, the first things that pop into our heads are Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok now. And in the front world, so many of us are on WhatsApp. I wonder if uh, people equate WhatsApp, in a certain sense, it's more limited in the content. It's, it's not searchable like the other platforms. And it's kind right. of like limited to your group. On the other hand, it's something that you could get kind of immersed in, you know, now so many different chats and groups and uh, there's family things and then there's news and, you know, other things, informational, where you just all day long, you're kind of getting stimulated by it. Right. So would you say that that's something, at least there should be an awareness that the dangers and risks and health issues that come with other social media platforms can apply to WhatsApp?
1: So I'm going to, I'm going to just change the language from social media to social media. That's networking. why we have you
0: here. So, yeah, t- we're,
1: we're changing from social media to social networking, and then it's very clear that WhatsApp fits into that oh, into good. that piece. Basically, it is, and I think you, intuitively you you understand this that that it, it is a social networking platform. It is not as um, it is not as I would say problematic as I say a TikTok or, or Instagram for a variety of reasons. As it's sort of a muted version of of a full blown social media platform, but people do have unhealthy relationships with WhatsApp where they follow people and they, they are status obsessed where they will sit there just going through statuses all day. So, um, you know, I think that, um, that, but again, there's a lot of good families connect with one another, they communicate. So we, we have to always find that balance, but knowing your relationship with, uh you know with whatsapp there are people um i to a fault i never check statuses you know (laughs) so i I never got into that yeah but there are but there are people that that that's all they do they want to see you know uh even they 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 have uh you know jewish celebrities in their phones uh saved as a contact and then they can see on what's going on with so and so and and but it becomes uh you know it it becomes similar to a regular social media platform. Although I, again, I, I think you're correct. It's not quite a full blown, uh, social media platform, but it does have some of the same, um, dependence, distractions, impulsivity, disinhibition, uh, psychological, uh, impact that other social media platforms have. It's just a little more subtle, I would say.
0: Right. Okay. Two more questions. Number one, my son, I have a son in high school. I said to him, I'm going to be interviewing Dr. Ellie Shapiro, this, uh, Big technology expert, uh psychology expert. And uh you what should I ask him? He said to me, Oh, ask him this. He said, Why do all the adults get to have smartphones? And then they tell us, All right, well, you're not allowed to have a smartphone, but I can have a smartphone. And I'm just quote, quoting him, you know, verbatim basically. And then he's and he's like, and then not just that they have the smartphone, but like we see them on the smartphone, like sometimes all day long. And you know, I'm not not commenting if you meant me or not, but you know, we see these adults on the smartphone a lot. So how, how do you as a you're a parent? I'm a parent. How do you just respond? It's not a question of right or wrong. I'm curious what your response is to that question. All right, so
1: first of all, um and this is something that kids you know don't want to hear. you know, adults are different than children in the sense that we can self-regulate better and that we are less impulsive. We tend to be less impulsive. Um, and some of the challenges that technology presents are going to be less problematic for an adult than they would for for a kid a kid uh, a child a middle schooler a high schooler they tend to be more impulsive They, you know when you think of it from a uh um, brain development standpoint, their brain isn't quite as developed. So the same way we we don't let a 12-year-old drive a car, you know, you're 16 and then it's graduated but to 17. and Like there are certain things that, uh, you know, say alcohol, you know, um again, I'm not promoting alcohol, but we have an age of 20, uh, 21. Why is that? Well, because of brain development and responsibility and behavior and, and that, you know, there are a host of things that uh, adults can theoretically it doesn't mean that every adult does uh manage responsibly in a way that it would be much more challenging for kids and it's similar that they're finding out with social media etc. so we need to establish that there's a difference between adults and children and we don't need to apologize for having a difference between adults and children. so that's uh, you know the first the Great first point. kids might not might, they might not want to hear it but <laughs> you know when they start paying a mortgage then if you're paying a mortgage at 16 <laughs> you can have a smartphone you know that i i, I would be okay with that Good. um but that's one piece of it. The other piece is he may be right. There are adults that are irresponsible with technology and they are on their devices. And and parental modeling is something that we talk about, you know, uh a lot. You know, parents are the number one influence on what kids think is appropriate and responsible. And so if parents are modeling poor behavior with technology or anything else, you know, we're talking about technology, but it's it's like anything. Uh, you know, uh whether it's the from kite kind of your home or whether it's honesty or or criminal activity or substance abuse or technology, parents need to model appropriate behavior for their kids. And that's what their kids are going to pick up on. And so the fact that you do see uh, adults that are behaving irresponsibly. So one, I would say, you know, it it tends to be kids, teenagers are more likely to develop unhealthy habits and behaviors with technology than adults will. But two, uh, when you see adults doing that, uh, they need to self-reflect and and need guidance and and support. But I'll go back to what I said you know, we're so new in this technology piece, like it's only the last 10 years we've been talking about beyond the content, like how do we manage technology effectively? And I think that in many ways, um, we're getting better at it. In many ways, we're getting better at it. On the other hand, the challenges are becoming even greater. As technology becomes more enmeshed in our lives, the challenge becomes greater, but we are also getting better at it at the same time.
0: Okay, great answer. I'm going to send my son to you if he doesn't take it from me. Uh, last question. You mentioned earlier, you brought up AI, and AI is kind of like one of the newer uh, sure. technologies, advancements, and maybe struggles. And a few weeks ago, uh, a big, big group of very big influential or abundant, uh, in America, maybe two separate groups, Hasidic, Litvish, came out with essentially a ban on AI. But more, I took it as a warning about the dangers of AI and I think a lot of it is Ashkafa related and some people I think were puzzled. It maybe it it wasn't as clear to people, but I'm curious and I have my thoughts as a layman um, what your thoughts are about AI and does it bring about new threats and risks?
1: So um, AI, you know, similar to social media, um, brings out new opportunities and it also brings out new risks and, and challenges. I think that the risks and challenges that people are focused on are probably the wrong risks and challenges. Um, like I've been hearing a lot about chat GPT and, you know, everybody's worried (laughs) about like, to me, like that's the, the smallest aspect of AI. It's not even very good. Um, but it's like the smallest aspect of AI. I had to do a complicated math problem that I asked chat GPT and it was clear that it got it wrong and I corrected it. And then it, so, um, look, AI is going to bring tremendous opportunity. And I, you know, I didn't see the ban. I did see something in Yiddish. I don't speak Yiddish, um, (laughs) So I don't know exactly what was said uh, in, in the ban, but people are already using AI. They don't realize they're using AI. Anything with technology now today is utilizing um, algorithms that are made of artificial intelligence. And, um, you know, I, I don't know what a ban looks like on that. Um, and to ban chat GPT, uh, you know, okay, uh, you know. Um, the reality is, is is that it's going to present, AI is going to present the same challenge that social media presented, that Google search engine presented, that smartphones present, is that there's opportunity, but there's also challenges. And we need to better understand the balance between those opportunities and challenges. I'm always wary of any categorical statements on any of this. Um, You know, this I've is... Noticed- and I respect
0: my. I've noticed that and I respect and admire that. They you know, you avoid the categorical statements, and it, I, I
1: just you know, it, it, you know, bigger person people than me need to make those statements. I I, just, I you know I think it's it's complicated, um, and it's all about balance. And you know, in the same way that you know, the idea of let's say banning the internet was not a realistic strategy. Banning AI is not a realistic strategy either. Um, And uh, we need to find a way to balance it, better understand it. I don't think anyone really understands AI. I think there is concern, not just within the from world, but within the the technology world, that AI is advancing at a rate faster than we can really manage and understand. I saw a study... um, Tristan Harris, the person I mentioned before did a study, found that 50 percent of AI developers felt that there was a 10 percent chance that AI would destroy the world. So that that is of concern. Um, but uh, it, it's like anything else. We need to be cautious. We need if we just ban something and say categorical then there's no conversation to be had right. on um, balancing it.
0: All right. We got to leave it there. Healthy, balance, self-awareness, understanding. Dr. Eli Shapiro, this was fascinating. Your perspective is refreshing, clear, and I love it. I hope we can do this again soon. And I appreciate you being here, Dr. Ellie Shapiro, of the founder of the Digital Citizenship Project on the VIN Podcast. Thank you.